controversial bill heads to Governor Bill Lee's office after its passage on the first day of session, a scathing Department of Correction audit, and a conversation with Senator Jeff Yarbrough. Welcome to Grand Divisions. This is the week of January 20th. I'm Joel Ebert. Natalie Allison is out sick right now as of this recording. She spent a few days under the weather, so I have to take the wheel myself uh, for this entire podcast. So hopefully uh, I can keep you entertained and informed. We will see her again on next week's episode. This week, obviously, was the, uh, the the first week of the legislature. We saw the first bill in the Senate uh, be considered on the floor, and it was a significant one. Typically, when lawmakers come back to Nashville, uh, it's kind of a ho-hum first week. They get ethics training. They get reintroduction of staff members and committees just kind of have uh, listening sessions for a variety of topics. That all happened, but on the first day of the state Senate meeting, the convening of it around noon, uh, there was a consideration of a very controversial bill uh, that many deem as anti-LGBT. Essentially, the bill, which is sponsored from Paul Rose, declares that no licensed adoption agency would be required to participate in child placement if doing so would, quote, violate the agency's written religious or moral convictions or policies. The bill also prohibits the state from denying an agency license or grant application for public funds because of the group's refusal to place children with a family based on religious objections. The bill essentially targets uh, what what many believe uh, the LGBTQ community. Uh, Paul Rose uh, really w- spoke forcefully about this issue, uh, but it was a, a difficult one in the chamber, in the Senate, that is, uh, because it had already passed the House from last year, sort of a holdover. So uh, several Republicans uh, didn't want to see this bill pass, but ultimately it did get approval from a uh, the chamber with a 20 to 6 vote. Among those to not vote, there were five, uh, was Lieutenant Governor Randy McNally, who got up and explained that he thought there were a lot of uh, uh, previous versions of laws that provided this um, coverage and that it was unnecessary. Last year, there was significant pushback on this type of legislation and other bills under consideration from businesses uh, uh, and and others, including the Tennessee Titans, uh, that had led them to say, hold up, legislature, these are discriminatory bills and there will be uh, ramifications to this if you pass it. Uh, So far, there haven't been a whole lot of statements related to this latest passage of the the, uh, adoption bill. Uh, We have also heard from Governor Bill Lee, who initially said he didn't want to comment on the bill, uh, within the same day, he changed his mind and said he will sign the legislation uh, the day that it it gets to his desk. So uh, a lot to be seen. Uh, What will happen in the fallout of this? How quickly uh, could a lawsuit be filed? Uh, There were several lawsuits to bills that were passed last year. But needless to say, this was quite a first day of session and quite a week because of this. Joining me on the podcast today is Senator Jeff Yarbrough. Thanks for coming on uh, board again. Thanks for having me, Joel. 
So I wanted to get with you because uh, yesterday you and a couple of your Democratic colleagues had a, a press conference, usual end of week stuff. Um, but you guys, you specifically pointed to a number of issues uh, where you are arguing that the uh, for uh, you know the governor's office is is sort of lacking in leadership on these variety of topics. You pointed to uh, the recent Department of Correction audit, uh, staff issues related to the Department of Education, the rollout of Real ID. Tell people why you are criticizing and laying blame at the governor's office for those issues. Well, I mean, right now we've got numerous departments that are in one degree of disarray or another. And based on what I've read, what I've seen, I I have not heard the governor lay out an action plan or a strategy to uh, get to the bottom of these issues and fix them. And, you know, typically we start the session focused on which policies are going to be adopted, what's going to get advanced. Uh, The question that I think Tennesseans have to ask themselves right now is, regardless of which policy is adopted, can we actually implement it well if it happens? And, you know, Fundamentally, people at home, they know we're going to make changes here and there, but they need the government to work. They need the, they need the Department of Education to be fully staffed and operational. They need, uh, you know, care to be functional. They need the prison system to be one that they can trust, you know, for the safety of their communities. And when that's not the case, then I think people's uh, faith in government is diminished. Last year, you guys did not have too much direct criticism of the Lee administration. I would I would say there were some instances of it, but it was largely, I think you guys were trying to give the governor a chance to, you know, uh, do a good job, do what he said he wanted to do, right? right? Is this a shift from that? Well, I mean, look, I'm always ready to work with the governor or anybody, any Democrat, any Republican who wants to make life better for Tennesseans. And I think we, with a new governor last year, I think who we wanted to find ways to work together. And I think we did find some ways to work together. But for a governor who wanted to, who campaigned on bringing people together, on strengthening health care, strengthening education, it was a divisive first session. It was one of the most ideologically extreme sessions in Tennessee history. Uh, there were unquestionable ethical concerns that got raised during that session. And, you know, we went th- we went backwards on issue after issue. Uh, instead of investing in public schools, we did private school vouchers. Instead of expanding Medicaid, we're pursuing this, like, you know, block grant nonsense. And so, look, I mean, I think the... Uh, we'll continue to give the governor a chance to work, but we're also going to be honest about where things are. You uh, fell short or stopped short of saying that you want to see resignations at the top of some of these agencies, but what specifically would you like to see done, let's say, at the Department of Education? Well, I mean, I think that when you're if, if if we're talking about problems in one agency, I think that maybe it might be appropriate to talk about uh, departures and personnel. But I mean, what we're seeing is issues that span across numerous departments of the government and affect the most important things that we do. 
I mean, just today we learned as we're recording this that uh, the director of 10 cares resigning. We've had the education commissioners had massive staff departures. I, I don't know if that's a man, if that's a management issue. I don't know if that's a disagreement with the ideological stances. I don't know if that's I don't know what the the issue is. And you know, nobody in the legislature, even the majority, can manage the departments from from the legislature, and we shouldn't try. <laughs> uh, you certainly shouldn't do that from the minority. But we also can't sit, sit back and and let these things go. Um, Unaddressed. I wanted to turn to a, another issue. Um, obviously, bill filing deadlines still a few weeks away. Um, what are going to be some of the big priorities for the Democratic Party and, and you, you and your colleagues? Look, I think that uh, the priorities that we have are probably not going to be largely changed than from what I think they always are. Uh, Democrats basically believe that anybody anywhere, regardless of where they live or who their parents are, should have a decent shot at making it. Uh, I think that means getting a good education. I think that means having access to affordable health care and hopefully uh, access to good, well-paying jobs. And I think you'll continue to see us advocate in those areas a lot. And boy, do we need it, right? I mean, uh, just today, a report was issued that really breaks down what's going on in education and you know the the what we call the basic education program or BEP is basically structurally underfunded uh, it pays for just a fraction of the teachers that are actually in schools it pays for almost none of the nurses and social workers and you know that those types of services that every school needs and you know, we would have to put a billion and a half dollars from the state into education every year just to get out of the bottom 10, hmm. just to be in the average of the Southeast. So I think you're going to see a lot of us who are focused on strengthening public education. Uh, we are going to continue to focus on health care access. Uh, we are going, uh, you know, we're desperately behind on expanding Medicaid, other states, Republican-led states are doing that. The results keep coming in, showing that it's good for the economy. It's keeping more people alive and healthier longer. Uh, it's good for state budgets. Uh, but we in Tennessee continue to make a an ideological political decision that's bad for Tennesseans. Uh, and then I think we're going to try to work on criminal justice reform and make sure that that's not just uh, paying lip service to an idea, but something that meaningfully uh, keeps us safe, disrupts the mass incarceration that we're seeing, and also lets us spend more resources on the things that matter. Do you think there's going to be overlap and and ideas from Democrats and the governor's possible criminal justice legislation? And, and what he may have to face is convincing some of these Republicans who may not think it's a good idea? I think that's right, and I, I hope so. Uh, the the governor's got a real leadership task ahead of him to convince uh, his members of his own party, be they local county officials or legislators, that his criminal justice plan, well, one, he's got to announce what his criminal justice plan is. And right now we have a report that's got lots of really interesting information and lots of uh, 
you know, detail about what's wrong, but we don't know what he's trying mm-hmm. to do or what the plan is and whether that plan is going to have make any sort of meaningful difference. You recently told Natalie um, that last session was the most ideologically extreme in recent history. On the first day of this year, uh, the Senate, of which you're a member, uh, passed a bill that would let adoption agencies discriminate against same-sex couples. Given that uh, track record so far, do you think this could be an even more ideologically uh, extreme session? I mean, I think that's exactly what I fear. Uh, this week was not a good start. Uh, it's not a good sign to anyone who cares about the future of the state to see uh, a bill that's really going to give us a black eye nationally. It sends the wrong message about what our priorities are when it comes to adoption, which ought to be about kids. Um, and I, I think it you know, indicates that we could have a lot more culture wars this year, and the people who are in leadership right now in our legislature are not apparently strong enough to stand against it. Yeah, I, I, I want to—I mean, in the last few years, I've seen a couple of those bills. There's been bathroom bills, but this year, it seems that there's been— and even in just the initial days of the filing deadline, several that are targeting some of these— um, uh, you know, uh, discrimination-type measures uh, that critics would call them. What can you, as, uh, you know, the minority party and others do to either halt, slow these down, or completely stop them, especially given that you have a governor who intends to sign this uh, latest adoption bill? Well, I mean, I think that, look, we do everything we can, and I, I, despite our small numbers, I'm actually proud of our track record on this. Uh, we work. We work with the. We worked with the previous governor on trying to stop bad bills like this. We work with our Republican counterparts, both in committees and on the floor, uh, who know that these things are bad for the state. And I think that we have to call attention to them when they're bad. I think we have to try to make them less bad as they're going through. And sometimes that's all we can do is try to make things less offensive and less terrible as they go. Uh, But uh, at the end of the day, it's going to take leadership from more people than we're seeing. You know, I mean, the Senate ended up killing or pausing, frankly, I guess, now that we've learned and seen what happened this week. But the Senate ended up pushing the pause button on a lot of explosive legislation last year that really could have embarrassed the state. And if the if the governor and the new speaker are not going to join with the lieutenant governor in exercising leadership, I think we're gonna, we could have uh, some bad moments in the state. You're, you're, you're pointing to something that I, I intended to ask you next. So last year, uh, Senator Pody introduced a bill that sort of put Republicans in a weird position. Uh, it was a, a an abortion bill. Uh, leadership didn't want to see this on the floor, but Pody forced a vote through an unusual procedural measure. Um, you've served under two uh, lieutenant governors, uh, Lieutenant Governor Ron Ramsey and now Randy McNally. Last week, 
Uh, we saw on the first day McNally stand up and say, we don't think we need this adoption bill, that there are already laws on, on the books that, you know, we think that this is irrelevant and unnecessary. My question for you is, <clears throat> is McNally losing his influence on some of these, you know, people that he is leading? If given the, the Mark Pody move last year and the vote this year on this adoption bill, would that type of thing, if Ron Ramsey stood up and said, this isn't happening, would it have been halted? You know, I'm not going to get into the internal dynamics of what's going on <laughs> in the Republican caucus. I, I think that the, the sort of you know, um, parlor politics that <laughs> drives people crazy. Uh, what matters here is whether there's going to be somebody who stands up and we need more people who are going to be exercising leadership here. And right now there aren't enough. Uh, that's just all there is to it. And I, I don't think that it's a you know, any of this is a pure function of anybody's personality. I think you got a lot of people who either agree with bad with with some of these ideas or are too scared to to vote against them, even if they do know they're bad. And I think that that's that's where we are. We live in a in a world that's remarkably gerrymandered, mm-hmm. where the thing that uh, your legislators are concerned about is not what the majority of Tennesseans care about, but what a majority of the most conservative or most liberal people in their district show care about when they show up in a primary. And I think he, and your point is underlined by the fact that some of these Republicans, including the lieutenant governor, who was against this bill, didn't vote against it, ultimately blue-lighted, right. which is – it's not a vote technically. <laughs> right. I mean uh, that's the – I mean that's – you know, there, there's a reason that Profiles and Courage is a relatively short book, <laughs> it turns out. But, I mean, we really do need people to to step up and do some of the right things here because – We've seen this story before in other states. Uh, I mean, when North Carolina adopted discriminatory legislation several years ago, it pushed a gigantic stop onto what had been significant and sustained, you know, economic growth in that state for a long time. And and it's not just – I mean, the economics, I think, is a good measurement, and I think it's a good way for people to acknowledge that there are consequences. But what that means is that there are pe- there are companies and people and brands and humans that don't want to move to your state because of the, of the way that you're being led. And that's not good for anybody in this state if that's the way that we're perceived. It's interesting so far. There haven't been that many outright boycotts of any issue so far since I've been here, right? But you've got warning signs. They're, they're, you're wearing a pin right now. Tennessee Titans last year, uh, along with Alliance Bernstein and several other companies, said, do not pass these bills that are discriminatory. Uh, this is one of those bills that they, they deemed discriminatory. Uh, discriminatory. So uh, I guess the real question is, again, what is going? what is it going to take for them to move beyond, we're issuing a discouraging statement to, we're going to do this? Well, you know, I mean, I think that right now the Republicans in the legislature are playing with fire. Um, and because a lot of these decisions are made at national levels 
that are that that we don't have really a way to influence. But we've now on the first week of session, sh- sh- you know, shot a signal flare into the orbit to let everybody in the national media and everybody who's paying attention to um, to these issues that Tennessee is is starting the year on the warpath. And so people are going to be paying a lot of attention to what we're doing. And and I think that uh, this is a year where if people see that our governor and our legislature are acting in a way that, you know, just neglects where, uh, you know, frankly, neglects where most people even in this state are, much less most people around the country, I think that there's uh, really a good chance that we could face some negative consequences. Uh, You would hope that we wouldn't have to get burned uh, before we take a step back and think about what really matters, what's really important for the state. Because, I mean, look, I mean, look at this adoption issue. Nobody Nobody in Tennessee is trying to get religious communities out of the adoption business. Like maybe that's happening in some far more liberal part of the part of the world. I, I, I think those reports are overstated, but I don't know of any legitimate claim that that's happening. That bill wasn't about solving a problem. It was about the punch. It was about taking a stand and against the rights of other people in the state. And that's going to get noticed and because it is mean-spirited and wrong-headed. As we look to wrap up, I wanted to ask you, locally, um, you are now working with, I, I imagine, a new administration, um, uh, Mayor John Cooper's administration, on what issues the city is facing and maybe what legislation they would like to see. Uh, can you give a hint on some of the issues that locally are significant that they have encouraged you to kind of consider? You know, I mean, I think that, um, I don't think that the the mayor and the and the Davidson County delegation haven't had a, the full meeting yet to figure out what our all our priorities are. Some of them never change, right? <laughs> Traffic. Um, part <laughs> part of my job is just to try to pre- keep uh, Nashville decision making out of the legislature. Uh, it, uh, that can be difficult, which is very hard to do because there's nothing that the that the legislature wants to do more than get into Nashville's local politics. Um, I, I, I wish they'd, you know, just come run for Metro council. if That's <laughs> what they, what they want to do. But, um, you know, so hopefully we will not have as much of the kind of, you know, just pesky interference with local, um, government that we, that we've seen in recent years. Look, I mean, I think there's no question right now that, uh, the city's facing significant financial uh, hurdles, and I think that we're always on the lookout look out to see how do the state and county work together. I think education funding is a gigantic piece of that. Um, you know, if you go to my kid's school, the BEP pays for you know like three of the four grades, and and the state only pays for about one, one and a half of that. I mean, really, the local is paying so much of what is actually in almost all of these schools. And that's 
and with vouchers, with uh, some of the other things that have been been rolled out, that's going to continue to be a hurdle. But then there's just other finance things that that happen there. And then I think the final thing, and I don't know if I anticipate there will be a lot of big legislation on this this year, but I think the one of the central priorities for anybody that's paying attention to local government or state government is traffic, transit, how we're dealing with the fact that it's really hard to move around. And uh, I think we've got to build pathways to make regional investments in a smarter way to get dedicated sources of revenue into going to tra- uh, traffic mitigation, transit, whatever it is. I mean, I, uh, I, I am, I'm not much of a, uh, I'm not stuck on any idea except for more here. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know that we have to do more. We know that we're not doing enough and we know it's going to get harder and more expensive the longer we wait. So we've got to start building the pathway to do that right now. Well, thank you for coming on. Appreciate your time. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Joel. Joining me now on the podcast is Adam Tamborin. He is the Tennessean's justice reporter. Thanks for coming on, Adam. Thank you for having me. Wanted to talk a little bit on a broad uh, level of this recent audit that came out of the Comptroller's office on the State Department of Correction. Uh, Adam, for listeners that may not know, give them an overview of what this audit found. Well, I mean, I think, uh, Joel, when we worked on the story together, one of the things we found is that it, it kind of uncovered problems at every corner of the Department of Corrections uh, world. Uh, So it's kind of hard to say um, exactly what it is because it was 210 pages of just problem after problem after problem. But some of the high-level things that really stuck out to us, I know, are um, issues that the department has had tracking all sorts of things that happen in state prisons. Um, Whether that's sexual harassment or sexual abuse. That's right. And then uh, they also had eight inmate deaths that were cited in the audit that uh, were listed as natural causes in state databases and then were never updated once the medical examiner had overruled those causes and said maybe, hey, some of these are homicides, some of these are drug overdoses, some of them were accidents. I mean, there's a lack of specificity uh, on those deaths, but also it kind of is a running theme throughout that um, the state is not tracking accurately data on what's happening in the prison system. And that raises a lot of questions, uh, given that there were 171 deaths, I believe it was, during the year and a half or so time period that they looked at. Uh, this was what the, what the department or, or what the audit really did was look at sort of sample sizes of some of these issues, including uh, looking at sexual harassment and sexual abuse allegations, they did sort of a, a, a sample size overview of things, right? Right. And they found, uh, you know, problems with um, paperwork, with following following de- department policy, and with tracking things accurately throughout the process. And uh, one of the things that the comptroller, Justin Wilson, said at a hearing discussing this audit was, you know, some of this sounds like it's paperwork. It's just like the, you know, the I's dotted and the T's crossed, the nuts and bolts, he called it. But he said, you know, this is, this is the, the meat and 
potatoes of what a state agency is supposed to do. And one of the things he said is, quote, if it ain't documented, you don't know whether or not it happened. And so that's you, the issue here. You alluded to it, but uh, Justin Wilson, uh, just days after the audit came out, uh, there was a hearing a- at the legislature where they discussed this matter. What other things came out of that uh, legislative hearing, including, I believe at one point, they Justin Wilson referred to a uh, the, the way $2 million was spent or not accounted for as, quote, bizarre or something to that effect? Yeah. I mean, I think uh, he really questioned the bookkeeping and said uh, repeatedly, these issues, including $2 million in credits for a contractor, are just kind of uh, questions of departmental leadership. He said, that there's not adequate oversight um, from the top down in the department. Uh, he really uh, eliminated some some serious concerns. I will say that we've talked to um, Governor Lee, and he said he's standing by. Uh, Commissioner Parker and the department leadership says, you know, they need time to to right the ship here, and he's going to give them some time to do that. And to be clear, the department's response has essentially just been, you know, we we understand most of these problems. We're working to address these, so stick with us. Is that what their message was? Yeah, I think they would quibble with some of the controller's findings and, and probably downplay um, some of the more uh, salacious pieces that the, the controller highlighted in his audit. Um, but yeah, I think they, they're saying things that we've heard a lot from them before. Um, so we've already heard um, talk about how it's really hard to get good help, um, to get um, good employees hired on and kept on. Um, we need more money to do that. Um, of course, Governor Lee's administration already backed um, additions for correction officer pay last year. I think uh, we're going to see the department continue to, to push for that and kind of say the reasons all these things are falling through the cracks, the reasons this this all looks so messy is because we don't have the people we need in place to do it right. This comes at a time as the governor is considering criminal justice reform aspects of, of changing the state's uh, correction system. So it is certainly interesting. Uh, this also had a look at not just state-run prisons, but also privately-run prisons. I imagine it'll add further fuel to Democrats' calls for ending those contracts with uh, companies like CoreCivic. Well, it already has. I think we've heard from Democrats this kind of idea of if we can't keep our own house in order in state-run prisons, how are are we going to adequately oversee privately run prisons that kind of have that extra layer of remove from the department, even though they all kind of funnel back up through the state? Um, we need to figure out a better way to keep things going. And I will say that's one thing the audit found is that the, the problems are not just isolated to just state run prisons or, or just, just core civic. It's both. It's both. Yeah. And um, kind of across the board, these the same things are cropping up in all these different places. So I think the Democrats are saying we need a whole different way of overseeing these prisons and having that extra layer of a private company between us and the prisons is not a good idea. All that to say this government meeting, it was the government operations committee meeting essentially was going to, the goal of it was to, I think, renew the, uh, 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 extend its its mm-hmm. purpose, its continuation right. as the Department of Correction. Uh, Democrats wanted to pump the brakes on that, but that was unsuccessful. Uh, what were Republicans' responses to that effort? Yeah, so it's in Tennessee, we have these sunset provisions where every state agency has to come up for review from the state legislature to say, does this agency still need to exist? And what I was hearing from Democrats I was talking to is this is not the time to even consider this. There's We just got this big audit that's supposed to be um, helping us reach a conclusion on this question, but it's 
um, inadvertently eliminated all these other problems that we need to address. And now is not the time to say whether or not, or to give the, the department a green light or a red light. We need to really drill down. And I think... Um, what we heard from the Republicans on the committee was like, well, I mean, what are we going to do? Eliminate the Department of Correction? Uh, no. So let's keep it going and address these issues kind of after the fact. And to boot, uh, it's anticipated this issue will come up throughout the session. There are more hearings scheduled. There will be several more discussions on this issue. So, Adam, thank you for coming on. And thank you. It down. Happy to be here. And now, finally, our notebook dump. The State Capitol Commission is set to meet on February 20th. At that meeting, it is expected that the commission will take up what to do with the bust of Nathan Bedford Forrest. Forrest has generated a lot of controversy given his early leadership in the Ku Klux Klan and his role as a Confederate general. There is a bust on the second floor of the state capitol that has been a point of contention for many years. Many believe the Capitol Commission could make a, a series of decisions ranging from adding context to the Nathan Bedford Forest bust or completely moving it to a new location at its February 20th meeting. Representative David Byrd, who has faced allegations of sexual assault dating back to the 1980s from three women that he coached in high school, said last week he will not seek re-election in the fall. Byrd confirmed that on the first day of the session, but also threatened that if there was too much pushback from protesters who have showed up frequently in the last few years, that he would reconsider his decision. 10Care Director Gabe Roberts is stepping down in early March to enter the private sector. Roberts was appointed by Lee to the position in January 2019. Tennessee continued to struggle with issuing driver's licenses last week when an outage on a nationwide system temporarily shut down the issuance of driver's license. It is the third such outage since October and finally, the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee announced its support for James Mackler's U.S. Senate bid. That's it for Grand Divisions this week. As always, you can find us on iTunes, Spreaker, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We launch new episodes every Tuesday. Please continue to rate us. This podcast is produced by Erica Whitney and John Garcia. If you have any ideas for this podcast, please send us emails or find us on Twitter at Grand Divisions 3. Share your ideas, thoughts, uh, critiques, whatever you want to do. We always welcome listener feedback. As always, thanks for listening. I'm Joel Ebert, and we'll see you next week. Music